Welcome to another episode of Employability Matters, a careers-related podcast where we dive into all topics associated with the world of work. Joining us today, we have Jodine Williams, who is a sports and exercise psychologist, which finds her working with not only athletes, but businesses and the general population. She works with clients to help them achieve the best performance and overcome limiting barriers. Her aim is to raise a profile of sports and exercise psychology while helping clients along the way. So let's get started. I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Jodine Williams, and she's a trainee sports and exercise psychologist. Is that right? Did I say it correctly? Yes, that's right. Yay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you are so welcome. So let us firstly start off with what is your key responsibilities? So every psychologist is different. So I wouldn't say to any sports and exercise psychologist has the same day to day. So my day to day. So, for example, I have clients tomorrow. I will be going to their training ground. I'll be having one to one sessions with them to help them overcome any performance issues look at any races that they might um, have done and how we can do things better things that we can implement um, so that would be my overall day-to-day but every day looks different so there's no two days that are the same and I guess the key roles and responsibilities are kind of helping people improve performance or implement something new into their life so for example in the exercise domain of our role we might help you you know, embed some new sleeping habits because the sleep is really um, impacting your day-to-day life. So we might help you work on your sleep and improve that. So it depends on, it kind of depends what we're, kind of who we're working with, the clientele we're working with. You know, it's really interesting because, I, what was it, last week, um, Naomi Osaka, she actually yep. walked away from um, the French Open. And I so admired her courage for doing that because it must be uh, quite a challenging time to be thinking about the game and wanting to do well because she's, you know, premium top athlete. And then as well have to sort of like be committed to the daily briefings and to be asked the same questions again and again and again. So how would your role fit into a situation like that? Would they call on somebody like you to give counsel? So yes and no. So with Naomi, hers, when you read her story, she talks more about mental health. We are not mental health professionals. So anything clinical, so for example, if someone has clinical depression, we can't deal with that. But we can deal with the day-to-day symptoms of imp- um, depression that might be impacting their sport performance. So we could work through some of her social anxiety with her. So when, when she talks about having to do the press conferences she talks about the things that people don't know behind the scenes that she's going through depression she has social anxiety and it is a lot for her as an athlete so we can help her with that but she would need to go and see either a psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist to help her with the generalized kind of depression and anxiety so myself for example i have um, athletes that have depression they have a therapist that deals with the depression side of things, their childhood, their lifestyle, and I deal with everything that impacts their sport. And we kind of work as a multidisciplinary team to support the athlete because we all have different roles. 
So we wouldn't work with her in terms of her depression or her anxiety, but we could help her kind of manage nerves if she's get, getting nervous um, before a press conference and stuff like that. But we don't do the clinical stuff. But that being said, if you have a clinical, a, a master's in clinical psychology and you have a master's in sports and exercise psychology, um, I'll talk about that more if we go into the training route, you could be a clinical sports and exercise psychologist which then means you can go and deal with clinical disorders, but not a lot of us do that. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm quite interested to hear about how would it be set up? So um, I'm a top athlete and how would um, me and yourself interact in terms of me achieving my goals? What is the setup? Yeah. So usually what I do every, as I said, every sports and exercise psychologist works a little bit differently. But usually what I do is I have an initial meeting with them so they can either come to me through referral from their coach or they can come straight to me. I have an initial meeting with them free of charge just to get to know the athlete a little bit. They get to know what I do because a lot of people don't actually know what we do even in the sports domain because physios are normal, nutritionists are normal but sports and exercise psychologists people think you only go to them when there's a problem. So a lot of people are a bit nervous about us and not sure what we do so i use the first session to clear all of that up clear all of that up let me know why you've come to me what you want to work on how i can support and we can move forward if um people like me if they don't like me then i can refer them on um but if they do um we can go to the next step which will generally be um sessions once a week i like to either do once a week or every two weeks um any more than that and you kind of lose track of things so if you have sessions once a month it's a little bit too long because so much happens in a month that you can't really keep up and you're having to put out new fires every month in a sense so um we have usually 50 minute session 50 minute sessions every week that can be in this current climate it can either be online uh face to face at either an office space or um at their training ground and you just kind of work through whatever the whatever the client needs to work through. So it might be they're getting a bit nervous um, right before competition. So you would work with them on setting some goals. You would work for them through that and through that kind of nervousness, that anxiety. Why are they getting nervous? What, where does that stem from? And then work, um, work through that, if that makes sense. So do you also work alongside the coach? So you and your coach would be collaborating, the coach of the athlete and yourself will be in collaboration to ensure that athlete performs well on the day. So, yeah, so it totally depends on what type of athlete you have. So some of my athletes at the moment, I do work with the coach because sometimes the coach sees different things than what the athlete might see and what I can see myself. So they can give you a fuller picture and it allows you to have a, it allows you to give a better support system to the athlete. The more kind of people that you have working together to support the athlete, the better the athlete will be, um, become, in a sense. So if I work with their physios, if they've got injury and, re and we're doing rehab, that will give them a better support system. Some, some athletes are independent, so they don't have um, coaches per se. So in those cases, no, I wouldn't work with their coaches. Okay. What I'm really getting out of your job role is the importance of mind over matter, isn't yeah. it? is everything that works within the brain, all those barriers, all those hurdles that we put up as ourselves as an individual, making us think that we have all these limiting beliefs possibly. So is that part of your job role as well? 
diminishing yeah. those limiting, helping the athlete to diminish those limiting beliefs. Yeah, 100%. So as I said before, we don't just work with athletes, we work in a number of different sectors, but that is one of the main, that is one of the main things. What, what I see a lot when I work with clients is we have built up all of these, as you say, limiting beliefs that stop us from performing at our best. And what we would do is go in, identify where that comes from, work through that with the athlete, and then put in some interventions to help them overcome that. And we will work with them to, if that intervention doesn't work, we'll see, okay, why did it work? How can we improve it? And how can we push forward? But it's not about allowing the athlete to become reliant on us. It's about teaching them skills so that once when, for example, not around, they can still go about their day-to-day -day life. And if something, a hurdle comes up, they can use the skills that we've helped help them with. Awesome, awesome. So you said something about it's not just athletes I work with, you also work with businesses. So can you give us an example? What would that be? Yeah, of course. Hmm. So, um, for example, my previous role, I worked at Nuffield Health and I was a deputy general manager. So in that role, I can use my sports and exercise psychology, psychology degree to kind of design well-being packages for companies. So what, so what we used to do was offer um, companies kind of a fitness and well-being, a fitness and well-being um, package. So that might be you get 50% um, off gym membership, but we also come in and do fitness classes. We could do nutritional talks and we can do physio, whatever their employees needed to give them a better all-round health because a lot of people especially if they have desk jobs they might not be as active as everyone else so we would go in design packages and um, support them that way so as a in the exercise domain what we would do is help to get people into exercise and help them especially if say for example people have diabetes obesity it would help them get into exercise and stay um, stay healthy and stay with exercise so um, yeah, that's what we would do in that sector. And for example, my current role at Watford, um, we run an I manage a project called Empower, where we help young people overcome mental, um, improve their mental well-being through physical activity. So I use my exercise psychology skills there. So what what what's the beginning goal? What's the end goal? And what do we want to help them achieve? And any barriers that come up during that, then we would implement new um techniques like goal setting um looking at anxiety and things like that awesome i need you in my life <laughs> because when you <laughs> let me know let me know seriously because one thing that i love to do which i know that has helped me um through the lockdown and also helps me generally even before the lockdown is an exercise called fit to fight okay what's yeah. that is founded by this wonderful guy called Greg Francis. And what it is, it's martial arts type tech, okay. but to funky house music, rare groove okay. stuff and soul music is absolutely right. brilliant. For me, it's high intensity. My heart yeah. feels like it's pumping out of my chest. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But yeah. what I find is that if I have a season of doing no exercises, that affects my yeah. mental health and well-being without a shadow yeah. of a doubt. But then when I start to do my fit to fight and go into the classes regularly, I can see the effects it has on my mind, but also my body. Yeah. That makes me feel good too, you know? So that is just such a wonderful project that you're doing up in Watford as well, helping the young people, Thank you. you know, to become 
yeah, to become masters of their, I don't know, their destiny in terms of ensuring that they live healthy, positive lives and that they're able to contribute to society, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I think as well, the role that we do is about helping people like yourself, as you said, like get these routines in, fit to fight. Everyone, everyone's not a runner. Not everyone likes to run. Not everyone likes to go to the gym. So it's about helping people leave lead healthy lives around the lifestyle they have some people might have three kids how do they exercise around that you know and just helping them overcome their barriers so that they can be healthy live longer feel better interact with their families better and i think people do people definitely do know that fitness and well-being improves your mental health but sometimes it's like how do i get how do i get there and how do i do that consistently and that's where we come in so we look at we'll look at your lifestyle. What are the barriers at the moment? Where where do you need to put a little tweak? What what can we what can we do to help you reach that goal? Three days a week where you're currently just doing one one day a week. So yeah, that is such a good point because when you were speaking, I was just thinking about when do you start? How do you start? And that can sometimes be the battle, isn't it? But as yeah. soon as you start and you maintain that motivation, that commitment to the fitness program and then you're you, you you've gone straight ahead isn't it but it's the start yeah, that sometimes be a barrier to yeah you know, to getting fit and healthy isn't it yeah i agree and i think sometimes we have these um things out in society like it takes 21 days to build a new habit that aren't true so it's like if people think i haven't got it after 21 days they think oh you know i'm, I'm never going to get it so we kind of in a sense put up more barrier barriers as a society so yeah yeah is this is good stuff good stuff because <laughs> i would i would see the job title of a like a sports and exercise psychologist but i have no idea you know about yeah. what it involves and you're really giving a great insight so we're going to move swiftly on now we're going to move on and we're going to talk about the roots into your industry so talk mm -hmm. to us through the roots that you took to get into becoming a sports psychologist sports and exercise psychologist i've got to remember it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, sports and exercise psychologist because there's yeah. a difference isn't there yes so my training route wasn't a conventional route, but I can talk to you about my route and then the route that people should actually take. Um, so when I when I started my journey, I would say 2010, when I finished college, they advised me that I could do sports and exercise psychology in university, but with a, a foundation year of science, and then I would be qualified. That wasn't the case. So the um, just because what I'm now understanding is the profession is still very new. So I don't think everyone understood how to get into the, the training route. So the advice I was given wasn't the best, but we take it on the chin. It just means I've got a few more years of education. So what I did, um, which people shouldn't do, but that's fine. So I did an um, BSc in sports and exercise psychology with a foundation year with science. So I did that for three years. Then I did a year and a half um, postgrad in psychology as a conversion course, then a master's in sports and exercise psychology. And now I'm currently doing, um, it's like a traineeship, but they call it um, stage two pathway with the British Psychological Society, the BPS. So you either do two years, three years or four years of uh, training um, where you have a supervisor, you would do that 
you would take on you would take on clients and they would um, review you ethically how you do consultancy and then you would have a two-hour interview and you'd either pass or have to do more work so I am now finished my stage two as well, of last week uh, um, I just got my two-hour interview and then hopefully I will be chartered and then yes that is that is all good that is my training route the route people should actually take is they should do an undergrad um, in psychology, so a foundation in psychology. So they have the foundation of psychology, then specialize. So then you would do your master's in sports and exercise psychology, and then you would do the BPS stage two. There is a bit of confusion in our industry because you have the BPS and then you have something called BASES. BASES is for those people that did a sports science degree and not psychology. And then they go on to do similar, similar like us, they would have to do a conversion course and then they would have to do the BASES CPAR, which will allow them to become a sports and exercise psychologist like us. But they, those are for people that haven't got a psychology background, but a sports science background. So because I have a psychology background, I went for the BPS route. That route is more expensive, uh, but it's fine um and the basis route so the route i'm currently on is about 5600 the basis route is about 3000 so they're different but they're for different people to get the same outcomes if that makes sense yeah so so there's choices at the end of the day and what did you say yeah. the british society of the british psychological society bps or you have bases i don't know what that one sounds for so okay. that's my bad no um, but bases those are the other two Okay, okay, awesome. So, I mean, like sports and exercise, health and fitness and well-being, what is your inspiration into pursuing a career within this industry? So, very personal to me that I should talk about more, so I'm going to talk about it here. Um, so, I have two reasons. So, I was an avid, avid, avid um, athletics buff. So, I used to run 100, 200. I started... As, as young as I could remember. My mum used to run track and field and I ran track and field. I loved, absolutely loved track and field. Um, I did, I'm sure I did, I'm sure I did English school. So when I was younger, I got picked to do English school because I was pretty good. Then I joined the club um, and then very early on, I very early on into the season, I got injured. So I didn't get to race much. I didn't get to improve my times. I didn't get to do all of that good stuff because I spent most of my time injured. Um, I can't tell you about the injury just because it's it doesn't make sense, but it does make sense. Um, so I was injured for a long period of time. And I had a sports psychologist at the time, someone who I thought was a sports psychologist. And, you know, it just didn't go very well for me, but I needed that support because athletics was a lot, it was a big part of my identity. I had, when I dedicate myself to something, I dedicate myself to something. And that was what I lived. I lived and breathed athletics. I did it three, four times a week. I missed missed going out with friends. I missed partying to do athletics. I just go on, odd, you know, go to the odd rave. Um, but yeah, I loved athletics. I dedicated, <laughs> I dedicated my time to it. And then, I got injured and I was like, okay, I'm not going to run, but there's a route to be a psychology to help a psychologist to help people uh, to support people through what I went through in terms of injury, because it's very, it's very isolating. It's very damaging. If not handled right, you, 
go through a lot of emotions when you're injured. And I wanted to support others like myself. Um, I want to support others like myself through it. So I was like, oh, okay. I always wanted to be a psychologist. So I actually, <laughs> I actually wanted to work in the FBI um, as a, yeah. So I wanted to be a behavioral side. No, I wanted to be a forensic psychologist. So I wanted to work with kind of like serial killers, um, people in prison. I want to uh, like deep dive in the, into the mindset. So I was really interested in mindset. So that is my first um, love for sports and exercise psychology. Um, my second is when I was 15, my mom had a brain aneurysm um, and she wasn't supposed to survive, but my mom was very heavy in exercise. She always exercised. Like I remember, you know, yeah, I remember my earliest memories. I used to be asleep on the aerobics max and wake up and my mom's doing aerobics in the class. Everyone knew me. Um, so I couldn't understand how someone who exercised so much, you know, um, had a brain aneurysm. Like, how, how is that possible? She was so healthy. But then they were saying that she, it was stress induced and there was things that, you know, she had to deal with mentally. And it made me understand that health is a whole package. It's not just go out and exercise. It's what you put in your body. It's sleep. It's how you manage your emotions. And to understand that my career can also work with the general population to help them have healthier lifestyles and athletes it was a perfect fit for me um yeah it was a perfect fit for me so that is why I chose my training room that's how I kind of got into it that is such an awesome like wow <laughs> you know <laughs> like wow yeah. what is I find with doing these types of interviews is that a lot of people fall into love with their particular vocation based on a personal experience and through that yeah. personal experience, I believe that person that or that individual is able to make even a much bigger impact, you know, because they've gone yeah. through the process themselves, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think being an athlete myself, I understand, I understand what it's like to train four or five times a week when you're tired, but still have to work full time and all the rest of it. So I understand that. But also from the health perspective, seeing my mum and have, even having my own struggles with health in terms of I have really bad, I don't now, but had really bad eczema. So having to change my lifestyle to suit my skin and my body, it, it's not easy seeing diabetes in our culture and even my family and people dying from it. It's not, it's not easy. And I want to help people make changes in their life, whether that be sports or exercise. So I agree. I think it does having your own story and message attached to it. It makes you more passionate about it and it makes you really live and breathe it. I don't, I don't just teach it. I'm not going to be like, yeah, you know, get eight hours of sleep and I sleep one hour and my sleep quality is poor. I have to live it. I, I live it because it is part of my everyday. So when I'm talking to people about it as a, either as an athlete or as um, the general population, I live it, I breathe it, I understand. Yeah, it, it's difficult to build an exercise routine. You know, as an athlete coming out of injury that was forced upon you, I understand it's difficult to get back into the everyday life, um, get back into everyday life. So yeah, it does make you more passionate, I guess. It does. And when you were saying that you were injured and you were trying to, and then you wanted to get back into your, most probably your exercise training, that whole mental battle that you're having with yourself, yeah. you know, yeah. you're injured and you know, to break through that point of pain to think and to know, yeah. okay, you can go 
through that point of pain and it's okay you yeah. will be living type of thing I think that is amazing because all those wonderful skill set and knowledge you're able to bring through and to help you know people live and also make you know healthy choices you know yeah what I love is well you've also started your own company isn't it called Mind Advantage tell us about that yes so um Mind Advantage for me is my kind of sports and exercise psychology arm so I have an Instagram page and a website and it's just about spreading sports and exercise psychology to the masses. So to really educate people on the little intricate tools and push the field, allow people to understand what sports and exercise psychology is because people will hear a long title and think, oh, that's not for me, but it can be for them. But around that, it's kind of, I use it to kind of push sports and exercise psychology, give tips, give um, short um, bursts of advice in digestible ways to the general population but also through it I work with a number of um, athletes clients to help them overcome um, any limiting beliefs and help them reach their goals but for me it's just the reason for mind advantage the name it's because I think that what we need to do is work with myself or work with another sports psychologist is give our mind that advantage just give 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 it the little tools that it needs so that we can push through the barriers put overcome whatever we need to overcome to reach our goal and i think right now we we might just be living on autopilot and not giving our mind what it needs to support our day to day awesome so you're able to work with individuals and to identify what are the needs that you need in order to um to be your best and version of yourself yeah mm. Awesome. This is so good. You know, this is, so <laughs> this is so good. So I was thinking about COVID. I mean, we're recording this um, on, I don't know, we should be hopefully coming out of lockdown, but the press is feeding us with all these information that we're not. So who knows? Yeah. What's happening. But how has COVID impacted your work? I would say it hasn't impacted it. I would say it's changed it a lot so it has made it a little bit difficult in some areas so for example i have some clients who would prefer face-to-face -face because of what they're dealing with and covid meant that we weren't able to do that so with some of my clients there was a real battle of i would like to see you face to face i miss the social interaction of not just me but their training group and stuff like that so that was a real battle for a lot of athletes that i worked with I think, though, it has improved the reach that we can we can offer as sports psychologists, especially for myself. So I can now go and see more clients because it's online. So I could get off the I could get off this interview and go and see three more clients because it's online rather than having to meet them at my office or go um, to a, a training ground to meet them there. This I guess you can work with more clients and a wider variety of clients um the impact though is that we don't you miss out on that face-to-face -face interaction that some clients may need um via covid now we're coming out a little bit i'm able to do some face-to-face -face, obviously masks and social distancing and stuff like that but um i would say that is the biggest impact it's just those clients that do want that face-to-face -face and that personal touch that you have being in the room with someone um it impacts them and as a psychologist as well, if I can only see people this part down, am I missing cues? Is there, there's research to show that, you know, 
there are benefits of being online, but there are also negatives. Am I missing cues that are, aren't shown on people's faces? Are they, you know, flicking fingernails and stuff like that that might show that they're a little bit nervous or uncomfortable? So I guess that would be the downside is you might miss things being online, but largely I've had to make it work and just reassure my clients online and work with them, um, work with them to kind of overcome their goals online. Awesome, awesome. I want you also to talk through what your social handles are. I forgot to ask you that. Um, yeah. Social handles, social, sorry, social media handles are for mine advantage. Yep. So I only have Instagram at the moment, but hopefully a blog coming soon. So mind um, at the moment on Instagram is at mind.advantage. And that is where you'll find me. And my website is www.mindadvantage.co.uk. Yeah. So people, if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in getting some one-to-one or some group sessions with Jodine, look her up, Mind Advantage, especially on Instagram. You've got some wonderful um, stories posted on Instagram. Check her out, check her out. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the one thing that you're most proud of so far to date? As a sports and exercise psychologist, this is a really difficult one. I would say the whole educational journey is what I'm most proud of. I literally stuck it out. And I think that's that's how, where everyone around me was kind of doing other things, not sure about what they wanted to do. I knew that this is what I wanted to do, hands down. It wasn't for me, it wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna be, you know, you might not make millions in this career or no one really knows what I do or don't, I didn't care. This is what I wanted to do and I stuck it out. And I think now I'm coming to the end of it, it just feels worth it. I speak to my clients and they're like, you helped me achieve this or you helped me achieve that and that, is why I do what I do. And that's what I'm most proud of. I'm proud that for all the trials and tribulations that I had during this career of, you know, scrimping, saving, you know, I missed out on so many things to be here. I'm here. And that is what I'm most proud of. I'm here. And I I stuck it out and I stuck to it. And like that can't be taken away from me if if that makes sense. That is the thing that I am most proud of that I overcame everything that I, I needed to to still be where I am and you are a great testimony because you're showing that you are tenacious conscientious whatever situation you're faced you're you're able to set the goals and to think how am I going to overcome this and achieve my goals and all of those that the mindset um the way that you um how can I say work towards achieving your goals it must be like a mind map or some form of strategy that you would package up and also help to facilitate that change in your clients as well. So it's it's magic. What you're doing is yeah. magic. <laughs> what you're doing is real true magic, you know, it really is. So what do you feel are the top three skills and qualities that are needed to be successful in your role? I would say uh, the first one is you have to want to do it. So this is a, he- it's not easy. We, we can, we're human beings. We hear a lot. I've heard a lot from my clients say, you know, people have their own lives going on. They're human beings. You have to want to work with people. You have to want to help and support people. I'll say the first one, good counseling skills. So how do you help people work through and overcome what they need to overcome? And also when they have a setback, 
how do you help support them through that so when i say counseling skills it's like the ability to build rapport you know building building that relationship with your client you know being warm empathetic you don't necessarily have to go through what they go through but understanding their point of view um and i would say the final one is being non-judgmental everyone is going to come everyone's going to come to your i guess table <laughs> everyone's going to come to your psychological table with something different and to be able to give them a safe space where they can feel that anything anything can be said and they will be safe you have to be able to create a non-judgmental environment for your clients otherwise they won't come to you and they won't you won't be able to fully support them so i would say those are the the three top skills one one to be one to do it counseling skills and being non-judgmental awesome 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 yes because you can't i'm thinking that if you had if you were judgmental then it's and you had maybe unconscious bias attitudes and thoughts yeah towards your clients it's going to be very difficult you won't be able to help them in any shape or form you know be able to listen to what their needs are so those are real key good qualities and skills that you've just mentioned so if we're thinking about skills and qualities and say if I was interested you know anybody who's listened to this podcast is interested in getting into your industry but finding out a little bit more information where should we signpost them so the BPS the BPS is a very good website. So anything psychological will be on the BPS website. So if you look at the stage two QCEP is what it's called, um, the QCEP qualification for sports and exercise psychology, you will be able to find out all the information you need about this training route. Um, as well as if you don't have a psychological background, like I said before, and you come from a more sports science route, the BASES platform is really good. And a prospectus, the prospectus website gives you a good overview of what the sports and exercise psychologist does and our kind of key areas of work. Awesome. I tell you what, Joe Dean, as I said, I've really gotten a great insight into the work that you do. Now that when I see the job title as a sports and exercise psychologist, I've got such a better understanding of it, you know. Yeah. And there could be people who'd be listening to this podcast who could be inquiring about it, but not really sure, you know. Yeah. We still don't really know what the job is, but when we hear from somebody who is doing it practically, then we'll say, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do, you know? 100%, yeah. And hopefully people, I'm happy for people to send me an email if necessary, but hopefully this gives someone a little insight that it's the job is for them and this is what we do. And if you want to go into this route, here are the ways that you can do that and a little bit, about the day-to-day and what it looks like. So hopefully it does give someone the little nudge because we always need more people in the field, you know, waving the flag for us, so yeah. Definitely, definitely. As we're coming to the end now, we're just wrapping up. Um, I was on your website um, doing some research and you've got a wonderful, um, I can I say, um, positive affirmations, positive words of encouragement on your website. And there's one that I nicked and I would like <laughs> <laughs> I would like you to finish the sentence, okay? So, oh no, okay, go. In it is this one: to uncover your true potential, you must and finish the sentence. You must be willing to work outside of your comfort zone. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. It's where a lot of us live. We need to get out of it. It's it's it's, it's good there. It's comfortable. That's why it's called a comfort zone outside of it is where our true potential is 
Awesome. And we're going to leave it right there. Thank you so much, Jodine Williams. You're welcome. Advantage. Thank you so much for joining me on Employability Matters podcast. Thank you for having me. Hey everyone, this is your host, Sophia Lewis, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Employability Matters, a careers and job-related podcast where we dive into all topics associated with the world of work. Thank you for subscribing. I very much appreciate your support and remember to share with your family and friends. It would be appreciated if you could leave a great review on our YouTube channel, Anchor FM, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I will be back next week for another great episode. So until then, remember, employability matters. <laughs>